0: This is Coda Radio, episode 408 for April 5th, 2021. Hey there, handsome. Welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by a Cloud Guru. A Cloud Guru has that cloud playground, Azure, AWS, and Google sandboxes. Boom! but on their credit card, not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning, at cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, but really, I'm here to make our host shine. It's Mr. Dominic.
1: Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris, and can I say, happy Victory Oracle Day.
0: Oh yeah, right, big congratulations, right, to the folks over at uh, Oracle. Wait, what, wait, wait, hold on. Updated news item here. Hold on, Mr. Don, hold on.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no. I got this you, Larry Ellison.
0: Yeah. It is definitely a victory day for the folks over at Google. We kid that it's uh, it's, a boy. This is a story that that has been like 10 years in the making, right? Just about. And um, finally came to a conclusion today, but I'm left with questions.
1: God, no. Can we just take the win for once? Can we just
0: take the goddamn win? I didn't think it was going to happen, but we'll get there first. I want to know if it's true or not. Did you buy another HomePod? No, because I couldn't goddamn find one. What made you decide to buy a third HomePod? Two, I get. Three, well, might as well get four at that point and have another stereo pair.
1: You know what? The HomePod is just significantly better than the Sonos. It is, isn't it? If you have iOS devices.
0: Yeah, that is true. All right. Well, I just thought I'd have to find out. I had to, because I'm
1: trying to... Now, the trouble is, like, I'm at the point where, why don't they make the HomePod anymore and maybe lower the price to a more, you know, sane level? Because I would totally buy... I mean, honestly, if I had a multi-level residence or like a place with a basement, I could be good for five or six HomePods. (laughs) <laughs> all right now listen stay a while and listen oh decker Jane,
0: there you are i know it's nice isn't it you got to work him in every now and then i have a robe update i have a very exciting robe update so i thought maybe i'd talk a little bit about this because this was an area that uh, i think is interesting from a small business standpoint and managing your small business so I, i'll come back to that but uh quickly the update is Domestic and U.S. orders should start arriving around May 19th, May 20th. We didn't quite make the window, and the materials got used and had to be reordered because of some of the issues that held up the order, which are related to international troubles. Now, international orders, stand by. I'll have more news for you next week. We're still trying our best to work that out. I may have bad news, but either way, we'll get in touch with you as we try to sort that. Boy, a lot of lessons learned. I have rethought a lot of things, and um, I'm also very excited that we actually have a, a like a ship date or an arrival date, perhaps, for the robes. But I feel like as a business, I'm rethinking my entire strategy around swag, and I, and I think what when I look back at this as sort of like a post mortem. I think one of the primary problems I had was. I was attempting to do something that was really, really outside the norm for like my first thing. And additionally, I couldn't work with a shop that like shipping internationally was like the thing they did because of how unique this particular thing was. And so they were a domestic operation who generally would like just send like 100 or 200 units to me. And then I would ship them out to everybody around the world. That's generally had the type of customer they have. And instead, I was trying to get them to send it everywhere in the world, which they can do, but it's not their core competency. And as a result of that, I didn't appreciate how how much that would matter. But now I understand that it seems like for the kind of thing I want to do and to to ship internationally at reasonable right rates, because some of these rates to like – Anybody who lived in Germany, the, the, the original pricing we were working with was $150 of shipping per robe.
1: Holy crap.
0: Yeah. The cheapest international shipping we had was $95. So it, it was a range between $95 and 100 and some, you know, almost $200 uh, with the exception of Canada, which is like $85. Uh <laughs> So uh, so now we're trying to sort that out. And I, it was clear to me what, what would really work a lot better for, for a, a, an operation like JB who operates out of the States but has a worldwide audience that represents a significant portion of its audience. I have to build up some sort of operation where we're printing the shipping labels and slapping them on boxes and boxing them up here and then dropping them off at the post office and they're shipping them off. And I'm just not there yet. I just so I try to get another company to do that part for me. And <laughs> the way they operated is the way the type of drop shipping they do is they needed all the they need all the shipping information and get you know every, get every every robe's destination and then come back with a quote. And then of course there's you know tons of back and forth and trying to find alternative fulfillment places and all of that kind of stuff, which is where we're at right now for the international. But the domestic orders, what we decided to do was break those off into their their own original order set from the original supplier and just get those out and going uh, while we sort out the rest of it. I mean, I learned a lot and I think I've internalized a new strategy for the company and how we're gonna learn how to do this. I can't just start selling swag. I can't just turn on a switch and all of a sudden I, I'm like, you know, stocking swag and boxing swag and shipping swag. First of all, it sounds like hell. And second of all, I have no idea what I'm doing. And third of all, I have no inventory. I have to figure out how to get that skill set while not bankrupting the company, because it's re- this could go really simple where like I pre-order pre-order 100 robes for a second batch, stock them here at the studio and then never get them shipped out or never get, you know, like I could just so many ways I could screw this up. So I have to build institutional knowledge while not screwing the pooch. And keeping the train on the tracks while we try to build up this new aspect of the business. But I feel like my lessons learned here are if I want to be serious about how to do this, I'm gonna have to be kind of responsible for at least at least like like maybe what I would do, I guess I'll say it put it this way. If I were gonna do this again, I would take pre orders and I would like make I would just order two hundred robes. And then once two hundred robes were sold, that's as many as we had. We would we could do a second batch if we wanted, but I would and then I would box them up and ship them out myself with, like, a label printer and, like, you know, on a specific day, a couple of us are here at the studio boxing things up, loading a car, and sending it out a couple of times a week. And that's what I would do this time around. And then, you know, and then maybe open up another 200 orders or something. But I'm just not there yet.
1: Or? Don't do it at all. Right. Rogues were a stupid idea. Yep. Yep. You shouldn't have done them. Nope. Nope. I warned you.
0: I I was I felt like a good challenge would, would force me to dive deep into this and like I'd have to solve it in route. And that might be true.
1: Unless we got Reese and Dylan and uh, Abigail, right, your daughter?
0: Are you talking about, you're talking about Ham Slice in the chat room?
1: No, yeah, we just enslave the kids and make them box all the ropes (laughs) up. Oh, yeah, I'm totally going to enlist the kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I have a 14-year-old brother. He just turned 14. Um, I'm totally cool with child labor.
0: I'd just make it fun somehow. I'd figure out a way, you know, play some music, make a game out of it.
1: We need to learn. No, 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 no. (laughs) Listen, my first job was a janitor when I was in high school. And uh, for all my young men in the audience, you think girls are neat and clean? Clean a lady's room. It will change your life. Should have done something
0: much simpler, like a T-shirt. That would have been easy. Could have done a lot of T-shirts. T-shirts suck. They do
1: suck. That was what it was. I'm so bored of typical swag. Let me just fix your problem for you. Do the Coder Radio beer glass.
0: Like a Stein kind of thing? That's an interesting idea. Yeah, okay.
1: I was even being, like, lazier than that. But if we can pull off a Stein, that's even better.
0: That's kind of LUP 400 thing, you know. I mean, I'm just saying.
1: They're hippies anyway. What are they going to care?
0: That's true. What do they even know over there? Nothing. I have been actually legitimately looking for like a supplier of, of mugs or cups that have like a ring around the bottom that prevent tipping.
1: I mean, if you could get an actual Stein with a hinge on it. That'd be pretty cool. Wouldn't it? That would be cool. But I feel like that's going to have the same problem as the ropes. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And plus, plus shipping something breakable like that probably isn't a good first. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. All right, fine, fine, fine. I don't want to dare, dare I touch the lup monks <laughs> of fe- feudal Linux observance. Right? How about this? Coder Radio Martini Glass. That's right on brand. That's actually very on brand. I'm just going to say. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. And I can tell you, I do Mad Botter Martini Glasses, and that is not very hard. So,
0: hmm. All right. All right. I'm filing that one away. Mm hmm. Okay, I could see it. I was trying to think of like uh, some something to put inside the glass too, like a stir or something. I don't know, but anyway. So, thank you, everybody. I, I'm going to get these robes figured out, and then I'm going to make some like lessons learned plans that, that I'll share with everybody on what, from a business standpoint, I'm going to do in the future. But that's the robe update for now. It's just it's been way more than I expected. Although uh, I did, I do totally acknowledge I brought it all on myself. I do this to myself. It is completely my fault. I acknowledge that. But I am excited to say Robe Bros in the U.S., you'll be, receiving, you'll be receiving your robe soon. Those of you internationally, you'll be hearing from us either with bad news or uh, an alternative source or perhaps perhaps we will be just absolutely forced to do a round two. I don't know. I don't know. I mean maybe, maybe more robes will be demanded. You know, we get a lot of emails in.
1: I feel like you're just making an excuse to do more robes.
0: I, I think this whole like last five <laughs> minutes with
1: you just saying you're going to do more robes.
0: Personally, I kind of want to be done with the robe. It's been a lot. Yeah,
1: I don't believe you. <laughs> and here's what's going to happen. <sighs> uh-huh. In June, I'm going to start selling MadBotter swag on here. Because you know what? I deliver. Do you know why I deliver? <laughs> I only sell glass and t-shirts.
0: Yeah, I know. You know shot glass would be easier too. Would have been a lot easier. Shot glass would have been a lot easier.
1: Look at Java Jacks, the Coder Radio Sippy Cup.
0: I have been looking. I've been looking. Something spill-proof. But you know what? A lot of the things that they sell as like uh, rebrandable swag. It seems like they're targeted adults for some reason and not children.
1: <laughs> I mean, I feel there was no need for hate speech, but maybe we should just move on to the actual show. Yeah. <laughs> I think what we need is an artist and Sippy Cup created by the audience that we could
0: uh, mass produce or maybe only make a couple limited.
1: You know, the only person qualified to create a Sippy Cup in the world is me because I will find every flaw.
0: There you go. You, you could be a good product tester. Oh, and then the, I think the other thing I'm going to do in the future, although I haven't worked out the details on this yet either, is I think I'm going to figure out a way that members of our shows can get discounts when they buy any of the merch that we do.
1: By the way, why the hell don't we have new stickers?
0: Yeah, and stickers, too. I think stickers are... I think if I'm going to be able to ship robes, I could
1: ship stickers, too. Dude, I can ship stickers, and I'm usually, like, depressed or hungover or, like, (laughs) wiping somebody's butt. I mean, uh, come on.
0: Well, stay tuned, because stickers have been uh, a topic of conversation recently. Before we move on... Uh, because we have lots of email to get to. I wanna mention that our friends at A Cloud Guru have a PowerShell Core for Linux admins course that I thought would be particularly useful for our audience. Now this is an intermediate level course, so you might need to know a little bit of basics around Linux, but it's really about the concepts of using PowerShell Core with Linux. Everything from like getting it installed on a Linux box to using commandlets and using Visual Studio Code, and then you get into some of the more advanced components as well. And by the end of it, you've got a like working Docker install and SQL Server running in there, and you're managing Azure resources with PowerShell. If you're curious about their PowerShell core for Linux admins course, we will have a link in the show notes at coder.show slash 408. Now let's get into the email. We got a lot. We had a spicy inbox this week. Not all of them made it onto the air, but James S. writes in with an idea that I I have a feeling you're going to think is terrific. He says... Hey, guys, I love the show. The talk about the new Apple Silicon performance in the context of development, though, has triggered me slightly. I've long felt that developers should be working deliberately on low- to mid-range hardware because otherwise it's just too easy to hide bad code behind a fast CPU. The majority of end users don't run the latest and greatest. They have older hardware. What do you think of this idea that if a developer has tons of RAM and a fast CPU, they almost always write code that feels fine on their system, but crawls on hardware that the typical end user actually has.
1: James, I'm sure you're a lovely person, and I think you're great. Thank you for listening to the show. Your idea is stupid. (laughs) What a developer should do is have a good computer with a gimp VMs for testing. Oh. So the VMs should be intentionally weak to test. For instance, on my Mac, my iMac Pro, I have... Good Windows VM for dev and a very crappy Windows VM for testing. And it's like a third of the RAM and a third of the GPU, you know, allocate. You know, it's VMware, so the allocation. I'm sorry, it's Parallels. I actually keep saying VMware. I don't use VMware. Mm, Okay. I I think I like VMware better on the Mac. I, I agree with your point, James, that for testing, you should use a slightly weaker hardware or significantly weaker hardware. I honestly think a good workstation with different virtual machines for different use cases is the best way. So again, I, I I Chris, I agree with this point that like when I'm testing Windows software or any other kind of software like Linux, whatever, my VMs for testing have like the minimal specs. I don't want to have like five machines because that would be cray great. great to
0: me. I like your answer a little bit better than yours. My answer was uh, I think most developers keep a lot of their older hardware around. Not me, I poor Martin, you think, but... Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think some developers have, like, probably a couple of iterations of machines around so they can use that for this thing called Q&A, where they could actually test it on the older hardware directly. I am not a fan of limiting any developer's productivity. Like, if you get in the flow and you are having one of those beautiful moments, I feel like the machine should be as freaking fast as possible to let you rip.
1: I, like, I buy my guys the best machines we can afford. Amen. It's the only area where I don't economize in the business. I don't, you know what, like, what, but what's the stupidly dumb expensive machine that the, the asshole who works for me tricked me into buying for from, from system 76 <laughs> the oryx
0: oh that big laptop you got the big one
1: yeah. Yeah. He's got three monitors. So I'm like, this is not what was intended. He's like, I know, but I have two. I have a giant GPU. I'm like, you don't need a GPU. He's like, I know, but you bought it anyway, you stupid bastard.
0: <laughs> hey, man, you want smooth uh, window manager animations. Let's be honest. That's, that stuff matters. It still crashes if he runs an extension. Oh, <sighs> that's too soon. It's too soon. Uh, actually, I actually have big news on that front later in the show. You're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> no, in the GNOME shell related world that I want to get your take on. But I think
1: I think VMs are a good answer too. But trolling aside, right? Like the the question is, if if you're a company, right? If you're like someone like me, where you have you employ devs, it makes sense to buy them a higher spec machine than have them test in virtual machines that are intentionally slow. If you're like one guy though, obviously keep your old machines back and just test on those, right? You don't need to buy a crazy iMac Pro that will be obsoleted by your MacBook Air within two years because Apple's evil. What was I talking
0: about? Ron writes in, he says, hey, talking about Apple's gross. Dear Code of Radio, there are two kinds of people who use Apple. Number one, the technologically illiterate, and number two, the insecure. Group one is terrified of computers, and group two is terrified of coffee shop laptop shaming. Let's debunk some Apple fanboy myths. Now I don't know if Ron's trolling us because he he spelled fanboy with an I, which I think I don't know if he's trying to be. Yeah, he writes. The last time I spent twenty hours away from a power source was never, so implying you don't need long battery life. Well, oh, I've have, I've have definitely done that, but keep going. Yeah, I know, and it's like if you've ever gone to an event, do you speak at conferences ever? Yeah a conference like the battery life especially when you get to that stupid moment where you realize you didn't charge <laughs> you left your laptop in your bag overnight you get there to do the talk you didn't plug it in and because apple only lets you have a couple of usbc ports <laughs> you're really in a tight spot uh but battery life matters a lot for me too because i spend a lot of weekends completely off-grid where I am only generating power that comes from the sun. And sometimes in the Pacific Northwest, there's not a lot of sun. Right.
1: And I'm usually on a Coke bender. So,
0: yeah. Right. Of course. And who's going to bother plugging in when you're on a bender? He says syncing digital content across devices has never been easier. iCloud isn't needed. He set up NextCloud in 10 minutes. Oh, no, 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 no. 10 minutes. He had NextCloud going in 10 minutes.
1: You were wrong when you said next cloud, but keep going.
0: I mean, this is this is a common thing that I think it's hard for our community to understand. A lot of people have no interest in doing that, even if they have the technical capability of doing it. They don't care. Yeah, uh, he says staying productive during renders is not about hoping things get faster on the M1. It's about organizing your workflow. My custom PC used for content creation will scorch any Mac in existence. Wrong. Stop. Custom
1: PC. Yeah. Wrong. Right, because most people are not buying, they're not customizing their PCs.
0: Yeah, I think so. What's funny is, so what? What I think guys like Ron kind of they don't look at the actual market and go, "Oh, like there must be a reason why a guy like uh, Marquez Brownlee buys the Mac Pro, right?" Because I mean, I'm sure he doesn't like burning money. He'd rather probably buy the, he'd rather spend that money on the next Tesla. He's, you know, he why so why are they buying that Mac Pro? And the reality is. Final cut. It's Final Cut. It's if you ask them, they will tell you it's because of Final Cut Pro ten.
1: Well, this is a developer show, right? The reason I buy only System Seventy Six and Max for my guys is because I know out of the box with either of those machines, they can get up and running. Right. My biggest expense is payroll.
0: And then additionally, like if one of those guys leaves and you want to move that machine to somebody else, do you want to move them some weird custom built PC or do you? I no, I want to wipe it and put Pop OS, whatever,
1: or Mac OS, whatever.
0: And then you scale that up for like any company that has like an IT department with a bunch of employees. There's it's just not scalable to do custom PCs. No,
1: it, it, the custom PCs are, I mean, bully for you. No, that's great. Seriously for you. But when, when you have like if I was just a solo shop, honestly, I probably would have a custom PC
0: there's still a group of individuals out there who think that what's selling Apple and why Apple is one of the most valuable companies in the world is because of marketing and fanboys. And I don't really need to dwell on it. I don't think it's, I mean, but my. I think it's worth realizing that sometimes we can have real blinders on to what seems to drive the market. What seems to really drive the market seems to be battery life and performance and and um, I would say visual appeal. And then it's, it's something that, we don't quite grok as a community is the entire package right it's a product the cloud services and the fancy apple you know sales everything is part of an entire product when you roll your own nextcloud that's awesome and i have two i have i have two nextcloud servers it's great the reality is though that's not a whole product you built a custom pc you loaded your own linux on there and built it up just the way you like it And then you set up NextCloud to do your syncing. And you did it all on your own, and that's fantastic. I I host a show with Alex called Self-Hosted because I love that stuff. But I have to be aware that the vast, vast majority of the market, like the significant total vast majority of the market, doesn't do that kind of stuff. And so they need a solution that works well for them. And the better and faster that solution is, the overall more people are – their technology experience is improved. It's easy to dismiss this stuff, but I think it actually – it deserves important consideration. And then, then the next questions start to become like, well, how do I make money on this reality? Like if I want to have a business in software development and this is the reality of the market, how do I make money on it? Uh, I think that's a fair question to ask too. Uh, but uh, maybe it's not. Maybe your question is, is, and I, I'm i not saying it is for everybody, but I'm saying often in the context of the show, that's how we talk about it. Maybe it's just how can I have fun with it? And Ron, that might be the area you're in and you, know, you can be wired to a wall and you never have to go anywhere mobile and you can spend the time to set up NextCloud and configure your Android client to sync with your KDE desktop. And man, more power to you. I wish I had more time to do that stuff because I love doing that stuff too. But you and I, my friend, We are a rare breed, and we may be even fewer and fewer in some ways, at least compared to the overall growth of the mobile and uh, technology market. Next one comes in from Alex. Now, for him, the Linux desktop just isn't worth the hassle. He says, first of all, love the show. You guys are great. He goes on to compliment us for a bit. (laughs) But I'm going to skip over that. But I really appreciate it. Thank you, Alex.
1: It's not you. It's me. Yes, I got it.
0: He says you're great. And I just don't want to talk about it. You know, like we focus on it too much. Jeez. No, uh, he says some time ago, you asked people to tell you about their work setups. Remember when we came back, we did that for a little bit. He says he proudly wrote in about his high-end Dell 7 series, 7000 series laptop running Ubuntu 18.04 and i3. The thing is, I really wanted this setup to work. My employer insists on using some commercial VPN software as well as some other office software that only runs on Windows, but I had it working for a bit. I felt kind of like the hacker movie version of a developer, spinning up new borderless terminals and i3 and switching workspaces all while never really leaving the keyboard. I felt productive. But then one day when going to our support desk trying to get some Linux corner case fixed, the staff member most knowledgeable on Linux was out. And I had a full day of work ahead of me. So the solution they provided me was a used Mac. What I got was a late 2020 Mac Pro, fully decked out. i7, 32 gigs of RAM, one terabyte SSD. And the amazing thing is it doesn't really seem to get all that hot. I don't really hear the fans to the point where they're audible, even when running Docker or VMs. I did disable turbo boost, but here's the kicker. Docker for Mac works amazing on this Intel Mac. And I just brew install all the GNU core utilities and just eat the annoyance of some of the brew limitations. And I'm not really looking back. The setup's working really well for me. And he goes on to mention how he had some problems with uh, gaming, but he decided, you know, really for that, maybe I should just set up a Windows 10 box. In conclusion, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I've ended up leaving desktop Linux behind. It, of course, is the only answer for server-side work, but my dumb terminal interface to it is, well, a shiny, expensive but effective gray slab from the guys in Cupertino. Alex. That's hard for me to hear, I have to say, as somebody who's been using desktop Linux for a very long time.
1: I know you have a religious objection to computers that actually work. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, this is, this is why Max, this is why there will be no year of the Linux desktop, right? You don't see a lot of people doing
0: blog posts and YouTube videos about switching away from Linux, right? You see a lot of blog posts and hacker news stories about s- switching to Linux.
1: Let me tell you, how many of them do the blog post about switching back? I mean, I'm on an iMac Pro right now. Some, sometimes you see it, but you don't see a lot. But I've done several of those blog posts, and I'm on an iMac Pro right
0: now. Just, uh, I just hate, I hate hearing this. <laughs> <laughs> I really do.
1: I hate, I hate hearing this. So, I mean, I can tell you, I also have hated hearing a lot of things over the last, let's say, six months, and uh, it doesn't get better. So the M1 Pro is coming out in June. Oh jeez! Too soon. Yeah, if they had a if they
0: had a sixteen core if they had a sixteen core M one with thirty two gigs of RAM and two terabyte SSD and twenty seven inch plus screen that'd be pretty tempting. The only other like shoe or whatever the term is I'd need to kind of drop would be if I even got like a whiff that like the Linux M one support was getting dialed in and it was like you know within the next year it's going to be working for sure. I think I'd probably pull the trigger. But it doesn't mean I'd, be, I'd just have, that'd be one of many machines that I have.
1: Oh, let's backpedal. Yes, of course.
0: No, no, it's just the reality is, the reality is I'd need something mobile and I still need lots of Linux and it's not going to do those things for me because I'm not going to get a MacBook from them.
1: All right, all right, all
0: right. So it's, it'd just be one of many, but I'm not, eh, eh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I think Apple's going to stick with the M1 for the remainder of the year and I'm not really interested in the M1 now. Now I feel like I got to hold out for something better too. So that's what I'm hunkering down for.
1: Though Fisher doth protest too much.
0: <laughs> Maybe. it. I am in a weird place with it. I'll tell you that. I can feel it. It feels weird. It, I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable with it. And then the other thing that's hard is the lines between Gnome Shell and Mac OS are even blurrier than ever because now Gnome Shell has gone to horizontal workspace layouts. And they have the same gesture as Mac OS to get to it. It's just one less finger. It's a three finger gesture instead of a four finger. And they move the dock down to the bottom now, and <laughs> the whole thing's feeling a lot like the two the two interfaces are colliding. It's We've
1: been here before, Sam.
0: Yeah, it's a weird overlap. Scott writes in, though. He says, hey, I changed my mind for JavaScript on the server. I once, like Mike, was just not having JavaScript on the server. I thought I should always stay in the browser on the client side, just use it minimally. But... My mind changed once I learned about server-side rendering, and it all clicked. This allows the server to build the fundamentals of a web page and then just send the browser.
1: Oh, this is not new, Scott. This is not new (laughs) at all.
0: Well, he says it's nice because then the browser gets this nice little thing that it can just display really super quick. Any additional logic can be – any minimal logic can be done on the client, but the server does the bulk of the work. He says it doesn't necessarily negate the idea of Flask having an API for JS code and then load additional resources, but he thinks it might be worth considering when you consider server-side rendering. You're not having it, though.
1: It's not that I'm not having it. It's that this has existed for a very long time. It's not a new idea. And this is how everything like ERB and Flask and Jinja, or I guess Jinja would be the Flask version of ERB. It's how it all works. The server side builds the page and puts it down to the shithole that is the web. I mean, JavaScript is a language that should not exist. I have written large things in JavaScript. I have had to just delete them and I've lost tens of thousands of dollars. You need a better language.
0: Well I can't argue with you. I'm not gonna be I'm not I'm not gonna die on this hill for this one.
1: <laughs> it's I, I get what you're saying, man. Like it's convenient for what you're doing, but it's it's not good. Like it is it's just geez. You know, I'm not even gonna go into the history of server-side rendering, but it's not a new idea and it doesn't need to be JavaScript. JavaScript is deeply compromised language, we could say. It's not a pure language that has a fundamental philosophy, elegance, purity. Um, we could say je ne sais. Quoi, Machismo even. Um, I'm just off the top of my head. I'm thinking of a language. Here are my criteria. And uh, that might be Objective-C. Obviously be a good language. Mm. JavaScript is a bad language.
0: I think uh, the uh, the fat cat proposes we ban JavaScript from the chat.
1: Problem is you can't ban JavaScript just like you can't cure herpes.
0: (laughs) It just won't go away. (laughs) Uh, he said, and then Java Jack says JavaScript is what happens when there's no competition in browser languages. Spicy chat room
1: tonight. Coder radio happy hour. I am sorry. I did start it tonight with my moaning before the show. Yes.
0: <laughs> you know, that's why you got to show up live. So that way you can catch the moaning at jblive.tv on a Monday. <music> Leno.com slash Coder. Receive a $100 60 day credit towards your new account. Yeah. A hundred dollars a hundred dollars and you support the show linode is awesome it's powerful and you can simplify your cloud infrastructure with linode's great prices and modern linux virtual machines and tools to develop deploy and scale applications faster and easier than ever and what i love about linode is they are independent they've been around since 2003 and they are in full control they set their own isp up they run their data centers they have 11 of them around the world super fast connections Super fast native SSDs and of course forty gigabit connections coming into each one of those machines. Leno can really help your ideas come to life on the web too. If you want to set up a personal portfolio, maybe you wanna put a resume online that looks nice or a status page, or maybe you wanna host the back end infrastructure for your community's chat platform or something even else that heck I I don't really know because I'm not you, but I know Linode can do it. They have a full range of systems dedicated CPUs, dedicated GPUs, $5 a month systems. They're great and they're 30 to 50% cheaper than the big shops like Azure or uh, that AWS you may have heard of. And they have features similar like S3 compatible object storage, cloud firewall, simple one click application deployment, and a lot more. So you should probably just go check it out for yourself and see why they are our cloud hosting provider of choice. Everything we've built. And all of the things we have continued to build, it's just really gotten pretty pretty awesome. I should do a machine count at some point. We run it all on Linode. And you can too, linode.com slash coder. I found them a few years ago. Started as just something I was doing for on, my, on my own as a personal thing. And now I use them for everything. And you can too. And you can support the show while getting that $100 credit at linode.com slash coder. All right, now it's time to talk about it. The Supreme Court has ruled in Google's favor in the copyright dispute with Oracle over the use of the, eight, uh, I think it was like 11,000 lines of code or something. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it takes back to 2010 when Oracle bought the Java, bought, well, bought Sun, bought Sun. And then Java came along with it.
1: I looked back at our archives. <laughs> this is the story that we've been covering for. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Remember, Oracle claimed that they that Google owed them eight point eight billion dollars and four hundred seventy five million in lost potential licensing revenue, and then in two thousand and sixteen, a jury found that Google's use of that structure and sequence and organization of Java APIs. Was fair use, but then the Court of Appeals and the Federal Circuit overturned that decision into Oracle's favor, and it just went back and forth. What felt like forever.
1: <laughs> and to be fair, I was initially on Oracle's side because Google literally copy pasted some of the headers and everything. But not that they couldn't use the API, but that they should pay some damages for literally copy pasta. Right? Come, Come on.
0: Yeah, it was. And the thing I think that we thought was pretty damning was the emails from the executives that kind of just said, we're going to do this and we're either going to have to license it or or fight them in court one day.
1: Well, well if you remember, and, and and I did my research today, I actually did my job today, Chris. You should pat me on the back. Thank you. Just for you. I rang the bell. Um, they could have used C Sharp for free, but because they hated Microsoft, they wouldn't do it. Right.
0: Yeah. And there was the sense back there. I mean, you remember back then. When they were first starting Android, like the sense
1: was that the whole world of these devices were going to run on Java. Well, hang on. If we're going back, there's only one gentleman that can help us. Perfect. I was thinking Deckard Kane, but you went a different direction. Oh, oh,
0: you mean you like you want to go? You want to share that? St- that's 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 story time.
1: Stay a while and listen. Back in the day, Microsoft was actually a scary company. But now they're a little hippie company that runs Azure, but they used to put companies out of business. Yeah, kids, Microsoft was actually scary at one point.
0: Yeah, and I guess there was also this feeling at Google that like Microsoft was the big bad guy. The world was going to run all these like I, remember Blu-ray players back then were running Java. Like everything was going to be Java based. Everything that Microsoft did was bad, and I, I think that they figured we'll 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 swoop up a huge. Uh, amount of developers who can already target our platform that'll get us in the race against apple as fast as possible from india that are cheap yes but yeah you and i both thought boy oracle could win this but it would be bad if they did and i actually thought there was a good shot that oracle was going to win it, and i I couldn't really
1: comprehend what the knock-on effects of that would be but well, so, so it's on tape right like i was pretty pissed about this because i felt like just stealing java but they didn't really see. see the problem was Google was kind of right, but I didn't like what they were doing because this is going to sound super old man But Objective C at the time, requiring memory, memory management, allowed me just to charge a lot of money. That made me very happy.
0: <laughs> it seemed like they knew there was some questionable activity to it. Like they kind of had a sense
1: that maybe they were in a gray area. Well, in their emails, they, uh, they, knew. They, they knew. What
0: we have here is kind of like a half decision, though. Because the question is, are APIs copyrightable? That's been skirted by the court here. They focused on fair use, and they didn't really establish the copyright precedent. It's like the case establishes a precedent that if you're copying an API and its primary purpose is matching interface so that developers can reimplement it, you're in fair use territory, which it doesn't really answer the primary question of the copyright violation.
1: So I have a service that copies the API for AWS S3. Yeah. I have not talked about this on the show because... Um, oh, you mean you really do? I really for do. For real. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. theoretical. Okay. I've seen Bezos' uh, pecker, let's say. Thank you, Reddit. And uh, I'm pretty sure he would slam that right up my bunk.
0: <laughs> no, you can... I mean, you can, you can... I run an object storage.
1: Right. No, right? Like, I could have the right. exact same... Programmable interface, and my whole thing I do with this is go to people that are spending a lot of money in S three. So we can set you up in our data center. Literally, you change the API keys, you change the endpoint, uh, the secret key, that all all that nonsense, and bam, you're saving thousands of dollars a year.
0: Yeah, and it can also like in some cases, yeah, you work with a smaller business that can be more hands on, that can be more attentive. That does, you know, you're...
1: right. And we can offer you added custom benefits like whatever crazy stuff you need so like I'm spiritually on the side of Oracle with this but I felt like Google was so brazen in how they did it I mean we, we listened to the back catalog folks I was pretty rough on Google and Chris was I mean Chris said Microsoft was great and we should all run Windows Vista at the time so I don't know I mean like and I did that like every episode it was weird I just want to say YouTube Google uh, I'm sorry Windows Action Show uh, <laughs> yeah Choking aside, I feel like I sort of this is anticlimactic in a way, right? It doesn't matter; nothing happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, it well, it it matters. I think it matters in that if the had gone, if it had gone the other way, then then it meant that implementing an identical API could be there could have set it could have set precedent that that is a copyrightable like court case that you could, you could pursue.
1: What are you talking about? When I was 19, I tried to open Mercury Broadcasting. Oh.
0: <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, if, if, if Oracle had won, it would have set a precedent that other companies could have sued other individuals who've re-implemented their APIs.
1: Well, well hang on. If Oracle had won, then Minio, as, a, as an open source project, would fail, and as a company. Oracle Database, which was a clone of IBM Database right from the interface layer, would itself be <laughs> invalid. Because let's, let's Deckard Kane style, I'll go back here. Oracle's original business was being a clone of IBM's proprietary databases, but a little cheaper. <laughs> yeah,
0: I hadn't thought it. You're right. I hadn't thought about that in a while. But
1: I mean, this, this is the quarter sin <laughs> calling the prostitute a whore. I mean, this is not right. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, yeah. I, it is kind of, you know, but <clears throat> I guess companies change, I suppose, but there is some irony in that. It's
1: very simple. When you're small, you have to work outside the law because you have nothing to lose. When you're big, like fi- by the way, we don't talk about this on this show because unfiltered exists, but Facebook suggesting internet regulations is like the Nazis suggesting housing regulations. It's just not good. You don't want it.
0: Yeah, they have lobbyists so they can uh, that's a, that's a direct that's something they can shape. When I think about my feelings over the last nearly a decade of this thing, I think a piece of me wanted Google to have to pay some penance for the stunt they pulled with Android. For it being I can't ever forgive them for Android. It is a bastardization of Linux that is horrible. And they made so many decisions in the name of adoption.
1: It just doesn't work.
0: Well, you go back to, remember, they were going with something that was cursor-driven, until they saw the iPhone event, and then they switched to their Moonshot project, which was touch-driven. But Android, when it first shipped, you could still dig out the cursor. It was very much still very touch-focused.
1: How about Project Butter?
0: Right. All the, time, all the times they had to address the performance, they, they slapped together this system that was horribly unoptimized.
1: I mean, the early versions of Android were really bad. Because it was not native code running on these. So folks who are younger won't remember, these ARM processors on mobile back in the day. They were terrible.
0: Really bad. Yeah. yeah.
1: The reason iPhone programming was hard and I got to make lots of money doing it is because you had no memory. <laughs> it was terrible. Loading images in a list view or UI scroll view, if you will, was actually like you, people had different strategies and there were, there, I'm sure you can find them on Reddit. There were blog posts debating what is the right way to load images on iOS because you didn't have the memory to do it. Come on, you know, this is true. Oh, yeah. And it was so much worse on Android because... And then
0: you'll recall, I don't need to re- recap history, but the incredible compromises they made with carriers to uh, to get great sweetheart deals with the carriers to compete with the iPhone, like allowing carriers to bastardize up the firmwares with their crappy apps and tracking, they, they crossed all these lines in the name of adoption that I felt like created a product that didn't learn anything from the Windows PC OEM era that makes shipping updates easy and fast and secure. And we ended up with an OS that's now in reality in the pockets of millions of consumers with out-of-date Linux kernels out-of-date Bluetooth stacks, tons of vulnerabilities, vendors who stopped patching because they didn't have some driver licensing deal that went beyond two years, so they couldn't supply updates past that. And so now it just gets no fixes, and it just sits there open on the Internet every single day. And there are millions of them. And then you bring in all of the crap around this That This uh, Oracle suit, which was another example of Google cutting corners to try to get fast, quick adoption to slam something into the market so then that way they could get all of these hardware manufacturers to switch over to their crappy platform and have a horrible fight race to the bottom. LG, by the way, just announced this week they're out of the smartphone business entirely. That's all Google did. Google dumped an operating system on the market that drove the value down, that created a race to the bottom, that created manufacturers to to make these horrible deals, these totally unsupported phones, and now the market is awash in them. And what makes me sick about it is it's, all on the back of Linux. Linux is at the core of all of these, and it's a bastardization of what is a beautiful operating system that could deliver a secure, free user experience and instead has been perverted by Google for this use, all while getting their backs padded by the open source community, loving them every step of the way for their open source stance and their open source support and their summer of code. And so we never question the almighty Google, even though they've taken the beautiful platform that is Linux and they've weaponized it as a tracking platform, as, and now, not intentionally, an exploit paradise. And it's all on the back of Linux and I hate it.
1: They turned it into slow. The fact that they spent years trying to perfect a goddamn scroll view. I'm sorry, but no, I I know it seems like a mean mean, but that is a stupid problem to have.
0: Yeah, it's just been a bad product. And they're they you know what? They're by the time they finally get it fairly decent, which is, I mean it's not it's pretty it's in a pretty good state now. You know, I, I enjoy my Pixel, but it's still not as good as iOS.
1: You know what? If somebody comes to me with a, with a business ID and they have an Android, I just ignore them. <laughs>
0: You just decide right there. Oh, they got an Android Wear watch. I won't let them in the door. (laughs)
1: And and I'm not even joking. I've read VC posts. People say if a founder comes to me and he has an Android. Nope.
0: I don't know how I feel about that.
1: It's about taste. And you can look that up.
0: I feel like they've done a better job with Chrome OS. That was just brought up by the chat room. I feel like that's been better managed by Google.
1: Chrome OS.
0: You know what the the
1: good mobile OS was?
0: Yeah. Web OS.
1: Well, yes, web OS. But mobile OS was never going to happen. Windows Phone 8.
0: No, it had a registry, dude. It's out right there. If it has a registry, it's not on my. It's not going in my pocket. That's just not happening.
1: Yeah, but WebOS was actually the good one. And come on, it was from HP. It was never going (laughs) to (laughs) happen.
0: For some reason, the Google uh, YouTube algorithm thingy decided to show me commercials of the compact iPack from that era. Um, so the late nineties, I guess in my feed and for whatever reason it was right. And I watched it and man, I had one of those. I actually really liked it. If you were in that ecosystem and you had like the
1: exchange integration, it was, it was pretty cool. I just want to say I was a windows 95 power user.
0: Oh yeah. Did you actually, you know, you got to get the plus pack then? So that way you get the themes
1: and stuff. Oh no, I upgraded from 3.1.
0: And then, and then you had to get the windows 95, like OSR two or whatever it was where they added USB support. Couldn't do it. I was
1: I was on Windows. 95. <laughs> then I, but then I got a Gateway. Oh yeah, Cowbox. Yep, lock in the Casbah. But then I upgraded to Windows ninety eight. Well,
0: what? What's wrong? Ninety eight was great. Didn't work. It
1: was slow.
0: Oh yeah, you definitely felt it back then.
1: Felt it, especially on low end systems. You you and my systems were low. Yeah, you felt the pain.
0: Yeah, you really felt it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of those things where like we were, you know, it reminds me of the email we got earlier in the show. It's like. So it, you you have no idea back then. I mean, it sold new machines. People would just buy it. back then when a new Windows would come out. That's when people would just buy entirely new PCs with Windows preloaded on it.
1: Then I sort of skipped Vista because I wasn't crazy. Then I went to 7. Then I went to Mac and Linux. And I'm not going to talk about the machine I'm on now because people will send me hate mail.
0: Well, besides, you got to replace that thing anyway. It's got those dirty x86 processors in it, right?
1: <laughs> well, I've done some <laughs> benchmarks on my MacBook Air. It's not great.
0: Oh, yeah? Oh, good. Let's do a little anti-M1
1: for a moment. So the iMac Pro crushed it, huh? Uh, No, no, no. Oh. No, that's not what happened. Oh, damn it. It's The iMac Pro has a beautiful screen. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. But did it beat it on the CPU test? Tell me it beat the M1. It's my
1: special little computer, and I love it very much.
0: You're not answering the question, which I think means that it didn't. Oh, I didn't need to hear that.
1: Unless the GPU becomes involved.
0: Ah, yeah, sure.
1: The air is fast.
0: Pour one out for the X eighty six.
1: Honestly, if I was Intel's CEO right now, I would not be making snarky commercials. Yeah, with with the uh, Justin Long, I would be at the bar crying. That might be my character flaw.
0: <laughs> Maybe you can do both. You know, though he is the CEO of Intel, you can probably do both.
1: But do you need Justin Long? I mean,
0: no, no. It does. It, it's bad too, right? Because. The funny thing is is like you're you're so he's he's essentially getting on products that still are shipping with Intel processors in them like they still I mean the whole thing's like they're making funny they're making fun of Macbooks but they're still
1: Macbooks selling with Intel processors. It was an awkward moment. Like I just want to say making an advertising campaign campaign dunking on one of your biggest customers seems super stupid to me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. What do we know?
0: Datadog.com slash coder radio. You know what? Go analyze your code level performance. Get it across your entire environment, the whole stack, and troubleshoot issues faster with Datadog. Datadog's continuous profiler does something amazing. It automatically collects profiles from your production servers and your applications all the time. So you can analyze any data from any source at any point in time quickly with minimal overhead and then boop, 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 pop, get a whole unified picture with their beautiful dashboards correlate it with code performance metrics and other monitoring data from your servers in these real-time beautiful dashboards you got to go to datadog.com slash coder radio to see these dashboards and when you're there you sign up for a 14-day free trial and you will get a free t-shirt after you create one of those beautiful dashboards you get the dashboard beauty and the t-shirt but you got to go to datadog.com Slash Coder Radio for that. See the log management, the tracing, that continuous profiler in action, and see how great it is to bring it all into one platform. Datadog enables you to pinpoint the root cause of issues faster than ever. And it's a tool to help you communicate. Go try Datadog's products for free. Get that 14 day trial by visiting Datadog.com slash Codaradio. And for a limited time, if you start a trial and you create that one dashboard, you'll get that free Datadog T shirt. Free Swag! Are you uh, going over to uh, the WWDC website right now to make your plans? Because it's been announced. We now know it's going to be virtual again this year. They are leaning in hard on the Craig Federici uh, staring at his laptop in a weird way. And they've announced it'll be June 7th to the 11th for the all-online program open to everybody free at no cost and uh, even if you're not a Apple developer or even interested in any particular thing from Apple, it's kind of fascinating to watch this from a production standpoint. Because, boy, howdy, if these aren't just the peak of virtual conference production, like, nobody does it like these guys do. They also this year are doing a Swift student challenge, and they're going to have additional details on that. So... Teaching the young ones the Swift.
1: Mm. It's a big focus of WWDC. Got to get the young ones learned up. I guess if you hate children, that might be a thing you would do. (laughs) No, but I mean, I obviously would love someone to look at me like Craig Federici looks at the MacBook Air. I mean, who doesn't want that? And yes, I'm going to WWDC. And no, I don't think there's going to be air glasses because battery life.
0: (sighs) This This is the shit about the Apple community. That is so annoying. The incessant yammering on about like VR goggles or AR or will Apple build a car? Like, get over yourselves! Like, who just wait and see what they ship? Like, this is the like the the community. There's so much
1: palace intrigue type stories and rumor mill, and they have a giant processor transition they're doing. Yeah, they are not shipping. And first of all, the glasses have a sp- particular problem. Of the boundaries of physics with battery life. Now, unless they have some amazing battery technology, which honestly, if they have it, they should license it to everybody because that would change humanity. Yeah, really. Yeah, let's share it, share it with the world, right? Seriously. No, no, no. I'm I'm not being a dick. To, to get such battery capacity in such a small package would be a significant leap in like actual battery physics, right? Actual like, the science of storing energy, that would be different. Like, they would be dunking on Elon Musk like he was little, the, you know, junior varsity basketball team in their shack. But if we return to reality, they don't have that. There's not going to be air glasses. So. It's so annoying. If If you think, if this isn't
0: just the way they shouldn't just do this, because I'll tell you what, man you get a lot more information this way because you don't have to pay $1,000 to go. It makes it way more accessible to people that are considering getting into development. It makes it way more accessible to children specifically who who, who could never get access to this stuff because they sometimes, you know, they're not old enough to have credit cards and whatnot. Uh, I think, like, there is a big net benefit to make this open to all. And uh, instead of this, like, this, like, exclusive, only, like, 2,000 people to 4,000 people can make it there, and it's a $1,000 ticket, and the price is only going to go up because there's less and less space available. I appreciate the value of those in-person events. You know me. I I really understand the value. But this seems like a net improvement for everyone because even a a casual like me can attend these, and and I can feel more informed, and I, I like to have the technical details of things.
1: I am conflicted. As a dev, I feel like the online format is better, but as a sales guy or like a business owner, I guess, which is really a glorified sales guy, right? There's something about the conference, like pub scene, you know, halt the hall track, right? Having said that, WWDC, I mean, I don't want to be too negative. If there's a good API that I think I could build a cool app on, I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Right, look, and I'm going to watch this whole thing and I'm going to be on the hunt for something like that. But my my entire problem, like I, I'm a, you know, you know this, Chris, I'm a huge iPad believer. But the problems are Apple's policies, not the technology. I mean, I don't want to say I'm not going to build something on iOS because obviously, you, you know me, I get excited and I do something and then I don't ship it because I'm crazy. Coder Bytes is not coming because of trademark reasons, by the way. So it will be something else.
0: Oh, man.
1: we're getting another. I'm sure there'll be another name out there that'll work. It's going to be uh, Coder Balls. Inappropriate? Past Mike was wise, you know? Past Mike was much calmer. <laughs> No, but all I mean, right. come on, are you excited for WWDC? I mean, I kind of don't give a crap. No, I actually am. I am. It's the HomePods. It's the it's the, it's the, it's the cumulative radiation from all those HomePods.
0: pods. okay. No, it's not the HomePods, but I think they, uh, I think they're delivering. I think the iOS platform is looking better than ever. I find it fascinating. The last couple of WWDCs, we've seen them allow uh, some major changes to iOS that we haven't seen in the past. I think the M1 platform is going to get iterated on. That'll be interesting. Um and then I think they'll probably send me into some sort of existential crisis and panic when I worry that Linux users will uh leave us all but I you know I've I've calmed down. I've calmed down. I think I think there is a good a good portion of Linux users out there who will never be swayed by the shinies of Apple regardless of what they do. And I have good news for those of us on the platform Mike. This has been sorely needed. A library that essentially plays a role in just defining the visual language of a GNOME application. You want to make a GNOME application, you can use lib.adwaydia to now do that. Sort of like elementary OS is Granite, this is going to be something that's available to all GTK developers. It'll track specific releases with GNOME, so you can target like a GNOME 40 look or a GNOME 42 look, and they'll include guidelines as well as code. And the idea will be a library that kind of grows over time that gives developers an ability to get some of the basics of a standard GNOME application without having to lay out every single button themselves and decide where it all goes. It's like the missing library that the desktop environment needed to get application developers started quicker. Yay. Here I come, I bring my nice little thing, and I say, look, Daddy, they finally did it. They fixed a complaint of yours, and you give me nothing. You yeah, sh- you smack it out of my hand, and you just tell me to piss off.
1: Well, let me ask you, how many users are going to pay for that software you build with that library? Oh, well, okay. I mean, well, there's, uh, you know. Yeah. Okay. All right. I admit, well, um, I acknowledge
0: the payment thing's a little tricky. I, I, I grant you. Tricky?
1: <laughs> it's tricky. I would call it the battle... Mm, what battle hang on the sixth day now mm, hang on uh what was the complete route oh the alamo uh, yeah actually the alamo they held up for a while hang on well a lot of apps do and then they finally fall that does happen oh it's france in world war ii write down sorry french people i'm not sorry my stepfather's french so
0: you know what we need is we need somebody Somebody help me prove Mike wrong if you're if you're writing Linux applications for the desktop right now and you're making
1: profits from it. I bought a Linux developers company for less than a month of my recurrent ramp. So 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 tell, tell me I want I want we're talking desktop Linux here. Yeah, somebody making a desktop Linux app, re-email in and tell us. Tell you what, you are a desktop Linux developer and you are making more than $75,000 a year selling exclu only selling exclusively desktop Linux apps.
0: Only why would you limit yourself? Why not make yourself I mean, what if I think Linux has to represent a significant portion
1: of revenue, but to limit it to only seems No, 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 no. You gotta make at least seventy five thousand on desktop Linux apps. I will and I'm doing this publicly on tape. It's a challenge right now. I and the Mad About Inc. will sell you or not sell you, give you a Thaleo from System seventy six, brand new, <laughs> we'll for you, and a quarter radio robe if Chris can get off his ass and actually ship them. And if you can't do that, we'll give you stickers and a poster. Because <laughs> I guarantee that no one exists. And when I say developer, I mean an independent developer, a small team. Not you. You can't call, say, "Hey, I work at Red Hat," and I listen to the show, and ha ha ha. Or you know, my Sousa Brothers. I want an indie indie developer selling an app. <laughs> I don't care what it is. And then if okay, so if you win. You essentially
0: don't have to give away Thalia, but if you lose, you got to ship somebody a computer.
1: <laughs> but if I if I lose, what are you going to give them, Chris? JB should support the Linux developer community, right? The Mad Voder is already in. Maybe like a swag box of like retro swag or something. JP and the Mad Voder will partner. I'll I'll buy you very expensive computer and he'll give you some stickers that sounds about right
0: no 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 it'll be a high value it'll be is, is the highest value I can fit in the box I just don't know which size box it is yet the highest value thing he has is the robe those robes are yes basically they should be sewn in gold at this point can I I just I know we did this at the beginning of the show
1: what were you thinking and I thought I thought it was a challenge to myself and also uh, Zane come on right into the show, you know that this can't be done. I
0: think it's, yeah, I think it is. I, 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 God, I would love to, I would, what, how, okay.
1: If I recall, I, I aqua hired a desktop Linux developer for less than my current rent.
0: You know, what we need to do is we got to like set like a limit. Because what if like three dudes write in?
1: No, just one. The first one who does it. No, no, no. It's first to the finish. But you're not even worried about that. That's not going to be a problem. It's not going to happen. And I want to see receipts. Where did you sell them? And it can't be like Steam, right? It has to be verifiable Linux desktop sales. So Ubuntu Software Center, hang on, I'm going to go laugh my ass off on mute. <laughs> <laughs> Elementary What about the Elementary App Center? I'm a big fan of Cassidy and Daniel, but... Uh, Nobody's making $75,000. <laughs> okay, you can also not be Cassidy and Daniel, because I'm sure they have, but... Uh, All right. You may not be the platform vendor yourself. Coder.show slash contact uh, for that. (laughs) Slash Mike's a messhole. Chris Smith, yeah. I got,
0: I mean, I got, you know, I got, I got a lot of gear. I should just start throwing, throwing that stuff in boxes. So if you'd like to help support whatever this is, you can become a Coder QA team member. CoderQA.co, you support the show, you get a limited ad feed, and we have a Coderly that will be coming soon, so if you haven't signed up yet, you can get it when it releases, go to CoderQA.co, and then when the Coderly is recorded and posted, you'll automatically get it in your feed, along with the limited ad feed. Or you can download it manually, too, we also post available for manuals, downloads there for them, CoderQAs, because we love our members, so thank you, everybody, over there. Um, boy, if you want to win a Thalia and you make $5,000 or more by selling software on the Linux desktop, go to coder.show slash contact, or if you'd just like to give us feedback.
1: No, no, no. 75000 not 5000 Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 It's a big difference. <laughs> like a big difference. It's a real big... <laughs> so like it's Rogue Amoeba versus some <laughs> asshole selling a uh, accounting thing that he sold, if I recall, $500 worth of licenses, yeah.
0: Uh, You can find Mike. He's at Dumanuko on the Twitters. His company is at the Mad Botter Inc. I'm there too, at Chris LAS. I don't tweet much, but I try to respond. The network is at Jupiter Signal, where you can get announcements and news. And same with the show, at Coder Radio Show. How about that? Links to what we talked about today are coder.show slash 408. Over there, you're going to find that contact form, as well as our RSS feed links. um, Really kind of all the resources. All the resources. And then you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and... Holy smokes, there's like a whole bunch of other shows, including Linux Unplugged 400, which landed this week. That's pretty great, too. You could join us live. We do Coder Happy Hour at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern at jblive.tv. And we'd love to have you join us in the chat room or watch live and chat right along. It makes a lot of fun for us. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Coder Radio Program. And we'll see you right back here next week.